this is Lisa, and you can find me on uh, Twitter at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on Instagram at I Love That Movie Podcast, and we have a Patreon. Uh, That's at patreon.com slash I Love That Movie. And if you like what you hear today, please subscribe and rate the show. It does help new listeners find us. And if you do sign up for my Patreon, you get a weekly bonus episode of just everything I'm watching that week. Um, And I want to take a moment to thank my top patrons, and they are. Philip Barker, Michael Cross, and Josh Johnson. Thank you so much for keeping the lights on. And I have a returning guest with me here today. I have Eric. Say hi, Eric. Hello. Hello. Um, if people have not heard you on the podcast before, would you mind introducing yourself a little bit? Uh, yeah. Um, Eric Christofferson. I am a big movie fan. I used to host a community uh, foreign film event when I was living in Missouri. I did that for three years. It was put on by like the college that I worked at and the local chamber of commerce. Um, I, uh, I'm not doing that anymore. I moved to Texas a little while ago and I've also been hosting, co-hosting a Star Trek podcast called these are the oh, voyages. Great. With a mutual friend of ours, Chase. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. That's what I do. Yeah, and I think the last time you were on, we talked about, was it Vampire? No, uh, we talked about Throne of Blood. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that Kurosawa movie. Okay, okay, great. Um, you know, and if this is your first time listening to the show, um, my guests picked the movie, actually. So what movie did you choose to talk about today? I picked the 1997 science fiction film Contact. Yes. Um, I we we will not do like a spoiler free and then spoil filled review because, as you know, this podcast isn't really a review. It's just us kind of chatting about the movie. So you might want to pause here and come back. But if you're still here. Uh, essentially, the plot of this film is that Dr. Ellie Arroway, after years of searching, finds conclusive radio proof of an extraterrestrial intelligence sending plans for a mystery machine. Um, that is kind of the spoiler-free quick synopsis of it, but we will dive into a lot more detail in this podcast. Um, so, Eric, when was the first time you saw this movie? Yeah, so this movie came out in, like I said, 1997. Mm. I was 12 years old at the time, and my dad took my brother and I to see this movie in theaters right when it came out. Wow, wow, wow. So mm-hmm. had, you, has, had your family, like, read about it? Had, had y'all read? It's based on a book, right? You know, it's written, it, it or it's, it's written by uh, a book that Carl Sagan wrote. So did, did you all read the book first, or...? Uh, no, no, we, I hadn't, I've read it now, um, Mm -hmm. since then. Um, but my dad was a very big science fiction fan. Um, you know, he was 13 years old when Star Trek, the original series premiered. Mm -hmm. Right. So he watched that. He loved that growing up as a kid, but he would have been in his early twenties when Star Wars came out. Um, I remember this, my dad was a huge fan of Dune, the book. And wow, he great. had he bought a, a first edition paperback copy oh of gosh. the book Dune, which I still have on my bookshelf. Oh, right? that's, that's great! I know, love sixty when years old, and and like things surrounding movies like relate so much back to your childhood and your family. That's awesome. 
Yeah, but my my dad, he um you know, he passed away uh in a, um, over 20 years ago, but oh, he wow. was a a big influence on my life in terms of like yeah. science fiction, right? I'm I love science fiction. Me too. Obviously, we're talking about a science fiction movie here and you know, I co-host a Star Trek podcast and I really I owe all that love of science fiction to my dad, who's the one mm-hmm. who introduced me to all of these things. That's wonderful. Um, you know, we've covered Dune on this podcast too, the the latest one. Did you like mm-hmm. that version? I did. I I think I've gotta believe there were some things from the book that they filmed that just didn't make the final cut of the movie. It's hard, right? It's it such a big hard. story. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I always think like whenever you have a movie that's based on a book, I mean, obviously you can't film everything. It's right. very difficult. But I always say like sometimes when you get that movie like there are things that maybe don't quite make sense and somebody goes, "Well, if you read the book, that scene will make more sense." And I always think I shouldn't have to read the book to like understand the movie perfectly. I think that both of them should stand on their own. Agreed. But to be fair, and, some people read the book dude and they don't understand. Well, that's true. And and I it's my point was I guess there are some things in the movie Dune mm-hmm. that like maybe you need the book to understand like that could be yeah. like mentats and who is who is the Baron's like little henchman Piter on the side. Yes. I don't even think they give him a name in the movie. Yeah, no, you're right. There's a lot that they don't put in. I think it's, it's been a challenge for multiple directors, right. And even in mm-hmm. a mini series to kind of fit in all the info that's really needed to, to understand the plot. Um, so I, I don't think you're wrong there, but yeah. that's an interesting and, and, connection. Yeah. And I think, I think this movie, um, does really stand on its own, like apart from the book. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. I, have you read the book? I have not. No. Oh, okay. Uh, obviously, there are there are some some major differences, but okay. I think the changes that they make, um, really, really, I think they make the movie work in ways that I don't think they could work from, like the things they change from the book that couldn't work in the movie. Wow. Okay. Interesting. I guess we'll get into all that. Yeah. So I have a confession. I have told people that I've seen this movie before. And I thought that I had. But honestly, watching it, it felt like I was watching it for the first time. <laughs> so either I started it as a kid and didn't mm-hmm. finish it, or I, I don't know. But it I was captivated the whole movie. Um, I think maybe the first time I saw it was a long time ago. And perhaps I was just not in the right frame of mind to see it which is kind of surprising for me because i too love science fiction um but for whatever reason i watched it and i i I am now doubting whether or not i saw it (laughs) but you know how it is like so when in 1997 i i was uh i think eight so you know it it's i think that might be part of no not eight i would have been uh i would have been 14 maybe yeah i think so obviously i'm not the best at math but i i yeah i think around there so i don't know maybe that wasn't the right i didn't see this for some reason and i don't know how how or why that was the case you you know that's a funny story because like i remember when um mad max fury road was coming out Mm -hmm. 
And I was like, I want to go back and rewatch all the Mad Maxes before this new one comes out. And, and I know, like, I've seen the second one, The Road Warrior, many, many times, and Thunderdome many, many times. But, like, as I was watching the first one, it's like, I thought I had seen it. But as I was watching the first Mad Max, I was like, none of this looks familiar at all. It was, like, the exact same thing. Yeah, it's so like, weird. There's just some movies like that. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> why didn't I see this? Like, I don't know. But anyway, I... um that's that's my little confession here is like i i'm shocked but i i don't know that i saw this all the way through before so really really enjoyed watching it um and i can see what the hype is about now (laughs) yeah um you know before you know kind of continuing on here a little bit i did want to share i always pull a couple of quick facts and I, you know, I'm, I'm always transparent with you listeners. I, I pull this stuff from IMDb and Wikipedia. Right. So, I mean, you know, take it with, I don't want to say a grain of salt, but you know, it, it could be not 100% true, but here, here, here are the, the trivia facts that people have entered. So, um, you know, um, the, the first one, I mean, this one is not debatable. It's the truth, but author and producer Carl Sagan died during production and he was reportedly, taking great care to ensure that the science was accurately depicted in this movie. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, Carl Sagan, he was a, you know, a real scientist right? yeah. who he astronomer, astronomer astrophysicist. Mm-hmm. He worked at, um, I believe Harvard for a little while. And then another one of the Ivy league schools after that, right. He worked for NASA for a little bit, the air force, right doing real yeah. science and definitely he um he and his his wife right andrian they they were originally wrote tried to write this in the 70s as a mm-hmm. um as a film they wanted to write a movie in oh, the late interesting. 70s but like for whatever reason production just stalled that happens sure and so he wrote the he wrote the book the novel and then yeah then they made this movie and it was sad that he didn't get to see it it finished yeah. Rest in peace. But um I thought that was interesting. There's also a remark made throughout the movie by different characters that if humans were the only life in the universe, it would be in air quotes a terrible waste of space, which is a famous quote by the author Carl Sagan and it references a statement by the Scottish essayist Thomas Carlyle considering the potential worlds of other stars. Um you know in quotes a sad Spectacle. If they be inhabited, what is scope for misery and folly? If they not be inhabited, what a waste of space. I didn't. I, I knew it was a quote by Carl Sagan, but I, I hadn't heard that other part. Yeah, kind of interesting. And then the last thing I had is that the UFO abduction insurance banner across the RV is from an actual company. <laughs> Warner Brothers <laughs> actually paid them to use their idea. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I have to ask, did you pick this a, a little bit because of what's been going on in the news lately with uh, uh, in regards to alien life? No, no. I just, I just, <laughs> you know, kind of wanted to talk about science fiction. Okay. Well, I, I, you know, I think any time's a good time to talk about science fiction, but it does feel a little bit timely with everything we've been hearing. Um, it does. So kind of, I guess, going on from there, um, let's talk a little bit about, okay. So this was directed by Robert Zemeckis, who we've covered many times on the show. Yes. Um, 
it feels like I mean, I it, it's definitely a Robert Zemeckis film, but don't you feel like it's a little bit different from a lot of his other movies? I mean, the tone, the the seriousness of it. I do. You know, that. when you think about like Back to the Future, obviously right. it's science fiction, but there's it's a little more comedy in there. Mm-hmm. And then there's you know, a little before, comedy in this, but you're absolutely yeah. right. Like right, right. Back to the Future is like a fun family film. This is two yeah. and a half hours. <laughs> uh, and then you know, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which you know, I love that movie. I don't know if you've talked about that, but I love that movie. Yes, we have. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> and then so obviously, good. you know, Forrest Gump, which is a movie mm-hmm. that takes you through a range of emotions. Yes. But not in the same way that this movie does. Absolutely. Yeah, I just thought that was I thought that was very interesting and I think I think his touch actually really helps because this is it's very interesting but I mean it, it, another in the hands of another director this could be a pretty dry and serious film and it's not. I agree, know? yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love that about it. Um did you want to talk a little bit next about the cast? Yeah, I yeah, I mean, talk about a cast for a movie, Jeez, right? Yeah, <laughs> Jodie Foster, Matthew McConaughey, Tom Skerritt, John Hurt, David Morris, William Fitcher or Fickner, maybe Jenna Malone as young Ellie. I I knew when I saw young Ellie, I was like, man, that kid is a good actor. So <laughs> I was like, I have, I must know who that is. So. Really, yeah. really interesting. Uh, oh, James yeah. Woods too. Yeah, James Woods. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, yeah. Jo- Jodie Foster, I think, in the mid '90s was probably you know one of the biggest stars Hollywood had at the time. I know, but she is perfect for this part. Oh, she is. She really is. I mean, she just truly embodies it. And I have to give nineteen, you know, a movie that came out in '97. Props. I really love the way she's portrayed in this film. And I noticed, like, she's not, you know, in the 90s especially, or 80s and 90s probably, I guess in Hollywood since inception, but she's not sexualized in the film, like, almost at all. And I found that very interesting. Like, I don't, I didn't feel like the movie was saying, look, a woman scientist, you know, (laughs) like she, I took her character very, very seriously in a way that I found interesting for a movie from that time. Yeah, yeah, and I guess I guess I could talk about this now. This is something that I did want to ask you about, and you kind of sure. a- answered it. But like in the book, and I don't want to talk too much about the book. But oh, you you know, talk away. That's fine. In the context book, is like, important. It's very like it's a very big like running plot line in the book that the David Drumlin character played by Tom Skerritt mm-hmm. does not take a, a Doctor Airways seriously at all because she's a woman in science. And mm-hmm. he has very little respect for her, like at all, simply yeah. because she's a woman in science. And and I know there are moments where like like Drumlin he cuts her off and he like tries to step in and like take the stage and take the presentation from her. But mm-hmm. I was just curious, do you do you feel like there's like a lack of respect for Dr. Airway here because she's a woman in science or not? I do, but I think that it's very authentic in the way it's portrayed because okay. I think in some movies, like, you know, th- this isn't nine to five, right? Like it's not like in, in some films where it it has to be this sort of cartoonishly over the top, like 
and I love nine to five as a great movie, but I, I, it's not portrayed in a way that is so exaggerated so that everyone can be like, gosh, that guy sucks. He's obviously misogynistic. I think it's a little bit more subtle than that. Um, but she's de- he definitely doesn't, you know, like there's a lot of scenes where he's shaking hands with a lot of scientists and it does feel like he goes out of his way to kind of not offer her the same respect as some of the others. She kind of comes up running and he's very dismissive and he makes comments. I think his speech towards the end where he says, you know, this is just, we live in this world. And he, he almost says, I feel like a man's world. Um, but he kind of hides it behind, like he, he talks a lot about money and he refers to her as a dreamer, but I do think that he's sort of subtly saying like, get real. Like at the end of the day, I'm the kind of person that they would pick, not you. And so I thought that's why when she says back to him, you know, I thought this world was what you make of it was sort of saying like, no, you can own that. If you really feel that way, you can't hide behind Oh, that everyone feels that way. Why don't why don't you own what you're saying? So I did feel like they were sort of squaring off throughout the movie, but I think that it was done very well and it was very subtle and and more realistic. Okay, that's kind of how I viewed it. Yeah. Um, but I think it was relatable too, whether you're a woman or not, because he was also speaking from a point of like you know he kept emphasizing that money was the most important thing. And of course, in addition to being a female scientist, she was saying, you know, think long term and big picture and for humanity, for the good of humanity, not just about the bottom line. So I think it worked on several different levels. And so I think whether you're a woman or not, like, I think that you can relate to Jodie Foster's character because, you know, assuming that we're on the, the quote unquote right side, like, you know, everybody agrees that for the greater good is what's best or whatever, you know? Wow. I, that's, that's really well said. Oh, thank you. <laughs> how, <laughs> how did you kind of picture it? Or you, it sounds like you walked away with a different impression, which is totally well, fine. Like everyone. Well, no, no, I just, I just thought that it wasn't as um, prominent in the movie as it is in the book. Do you think that that could be some of, like you said, Carl Sagan and his wife wrote it. I wonder if she, you know, was kind of like, you got to put this in here because this is my experience or what, what, why do you think the book was so different? Um, I, maybe it's the times, I don't know, being yeah. written in the eighties as opposed to this movie coming out right closer to 2000, right. Times yeah. change. I don't, and That's you know, true. we're more accepting of, of the women in the sciences at this point. Yeah. I feel like by now, you know, we're not like, wow, a woman becoming a scientist. Like we're not like it, we're not there anymore. And so that's a good point. Maybe by the nineties, it was like, if we're going to tackle that, there's some power differences here. It has to be a little bit more subtle because that's not necessarily like how straightforward it would be now. That's a good Mm -hmm. point. Yeah. And, and, uh, um, the character of Dr. Arroway was inspired by the scientist named Jill Tarter. Oh, who was nice. the head of Project Phoenix at the SETI Institute. Very, very cool. Okay. At the SETI Institute. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I want to shift a little bit and talk about Matthew McConaughey yeah. and his character. Um, I loved his character. I loved their relationship, honestly. I thought it was very interesting. Um, you know, like, uh, I was actually talking to a family member over the weekend about uh, the show Bones, and in the show bones, you know, the, the 
the female character is very much a woman of science and the guy is, you know, follows his heart a lot more, his emotions and, and he believes in God. And this is kind of like that a little bit, but I think it's, again, I mean, kind of like we, we were talking about before, it's a little bit more realistic, I think. And I think their dynamic and their different beliefs are very, very interesting. What, what do you think? Yeah, I, 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 I mean, Matthew McConaughey is amazing, right? Yeah. <laughs> he makes yeah. a good Southern preacher. <laughs> he really does. <laughs> I feel like he's done this several times, but, you know, in, in, in the 90s, he was predominantly doing, like, heartthrob films, which is kind of interesting to think about yeah. now. Um, no, I, I think he plays this really well because um, he, he doesn't, like I know how people say he's anti-science, but his character really isn't anti-science. He's his it's, character he's is a not, skeptic. Yeah. He's a skeptic, just in the same way Doctor Airway is a skeptic, just from the other side. And I and I do I really like their relationship. Right um, when you can tell, like he wants her to go. Like later on, he, he wants to pick her, but then at the same time, he doesn't want to pick her. And he gives two reasons why, and they're both valid reasons. And I think they both really work for his character and their relationship. Yeah, I think, you know, these two characters do a good job of tackling a what feels like could have possibly been a supernatural event. Like, we don't know all the reasons for why behind it. And you know, Jody approach Jody's character, Ellie, approaches everything from a point of science. And then Palmer, Matthew McConaughey's character, approaches everything from a belief in God. And I feel like both those sides are balanced so well in the movie, so that if you you as the audience member, regardless of what you believe, you feel like, you know, these two characters respect each other. And so in some ways you feel like the movie is respecting your belief, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think we both have to acknowledge at the end of the day, I think Ellie, it takes her a long time to get to the same place that Palmer is because of his belief system. But by the end of the movie, I, I love her speech. I, you know, I shouldn't be jumping to the end, but I'm going to. Um, I loved her speech about, like, I know what I know, and 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 I wish all of you could experience it. Um, I think that that's when Palmer really, like, that's, like, the first time where they have such different viewpoints on what they believe, but like they're aligned on, they both believe that there are certain experiences that cannot be explained. And I thought that was, I don't know. I just thought that was so well done. Yeah. And, and here's, here's where I'll, I'll, I love that scene too, where essentially uh, Ellie, she's describing a religious experience. Exactly. Yeah. And, And in some ways, like if you don't believe in religion, you could be like, oh, you know, maybe people are having experiences like this, and there is some explanation that we don't know, but regardless, we don't have an explanation for it. Isn't that what religion is? And so it's kind of like, no matter what you believe, you can kind of look at that a little bit more compassionately or under a different lens, you know? Yeah, it's like, it's like this thing happened to me. I, I can't explain it. I don't have any proof, but I just feel it. I know what happened. I know it happened and it's real to me. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be real to everybody else. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and like, she's now in at the end of the movie and like, yeah, we skip to the end, right. She's now in that place where she was putting people before, like, how can you prove it? Or, or I'll believe it if you can prove it. But, now she doesn't have any proof, but 
she's trying to get people to believe it. And, and I do, I really think at the end when, um, Matthew McConaughey, he says, you know, as a, as a man of the cloth or as a religious person, you know, I don't have the same like burden of proof or the same covenant as, as Dr. Airway does here. But I believe her. I believe what happened because I've had a similar ex- type of experience happen to me. It's not exactly the same, but I know exactly what she's describing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like, what do you do with that, right? I mean, there's always going to be experiences that people have and that they talk about that, you know, how do you prove it, right? So it, it is really, ah, it's just, I, I really like that. Um, and, and, and as I said, in the, in the book, and I don't want to, like, I keep going, I don't want to do this. I keep no, hate no, no, to be no. that person, no, but go when, when, th- when the character of Palmer Joss is introduced in the book, like it goes lengthy into his backstory describing like how he wasn't a very religious person, but he had this religious experience that mm. made him become a preacher. Oh, it's a very lengthy Right. And obviously that's something you, you know, you can do extended backstories in books, but you know, you, it's kind of hard to do those in movies for secondary characters. Right. Um, I guess shifting a little bit. I, well, one last thing I'll say about Matthew McConaughey. I think it's interesting that he's in this movie and then he's in uh, another movie that I feel owes something to this movie. And that's interstellar. Oh, I think I think Interstellar definitely owes something <laughs> to this movie, and and yeah. I I think they all kind of owe a little bit to uh, two thousand one in a sense, yeah. right? Absolutely. Um, and, I, and I know that when Interstellar came out, there's a lot of people there. Oh, it's the two thousand one for the new for the new generation, and I'm like, I already had my two thousand one for the new generation, and that was Contact. I'm gonna say something controversial here, but I think Contact is a superior movie do that i i I agree and i wasn't gonna say that because like i know that you have a lot of guests and a lot of listeners who are big christopher nolan fans i didn't want to like i didn't want to like upset them or anything i just don't think it goes as deep as this movie does in my opinion i i that, that i agree with that as well yeah but um but i thought that was interesting um i wanted to shift a little bit and talk about uh david morris's character Ted Arroway, which is Ellie's father. Um, I definitely found that relationship really, really sweet. Yeah. Uh, David Morris is, is what I call a that guy. He definitely. I saw his <laughs> face and I'm like, I know who that is. But I was like, yeah, I don't know his name. I've just seen him a billion times in a lot of. Yeah, he seems places. to be in so much like that guy. I know that guy. Yeah. A character actor for sure. Uh huh. And and um. You know, this is this is the part that the more and more I see this movie and the more time passes, you know, I was 13, 12 years old, almost 13 when my dad died. Who And, you know, he was like I said, he was that mm. big influence for science for me. So um, I can really relate to to and my dad and I were very close and and people say I look like him all the time. I remind mm-hmm. them of him all the time. And uh if like if i got to go on this trip right um you know and it's it's described like the person you love the most is the person that these aliens take the form of guarantee you it would it would have been my father that i saw the image at the end 
That must be so touching now. Yeah, it really is. It's like, you know, when you watch movies at different points in your life, you know, you experience them different ways. And, you know, when I first watched this with my dad in the theaters, it was like, hey, I'm experiencing this together with her. But like now in a sense, I can understand like how she was feeling right from a different point of view. You could argue that her subconsciously, her entire reason for contact with outer space was she was reaching out for her father. I mean, when she's a child, when he dies, she uses the radio that they had been using to see if he's out there somehow. Mm-hmm. And then as an adult, she's doing it again. Um, it's not as obvious, but I think that she gets very emotional when um, she can't get funding or when people can't see what she's pursuing. And it makes sense. She doesn't believe in an afterlife. So she's sort of reaching out for something else. But I do think in the back of her mind, she always thought, what if I could talk to him again? What if Mm -hmm. I could contact him? So it's like, it was a very full circle moment by the time the alien takes the form of her father, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and she's like, do I have to, and she, when she meets him, do I have to go so soon? Can't we just spend a little bit more time together? And yeah, like in the fields right now for me, like I, can we not like leave? So why does this have to be such a small moment that we get to share and spend with each other? Yeah. You could say that about life in general. Just yeah. Life short. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, well, and I'm just, I also want to say like the scene where um, like after the funeral, the, the priest comes out and, and he says, we're not always meant to understand God's plan or God's will right we don't have to mm-hmm. understand why things happen like I, i'm i'm not trying to 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 tell anybody what to believe or how they should feel but from my perspective that's probably the worst thing anyone ever said to me at the time oh, right i'm and sure like that's not i know people are trying to be i know people are trying to be comforting mm-hmm. And but like the way she reacted is kind of the way I reacted as a as a you know a young child. Like there could have been something more that I could have done, right? I'm gonna learn as much as I can to try to stop this from happening. And you can take your religion and shove it. Yeah, I That's mean that's the way I felt at the time. I mean, it's cutting her grieving short and not validating it. Like there, it's totally normal to replay something in your mind over and over again and wonder what you did different. I mean, that's like part of her grieving process. So to say like, oh, well, you know, God wanted this to happen in the end. Like, regardless of what you believe, that's not the right thing to say. Like, you know, it, it, the right thing to say is to just comfort somebody and ask what they need. And yeah, that was not the right thing to say at all. But People mean well, I guess, but they definitely say dumb things. Yeah. <laughs> um, man. Well, thank you for sharing that. I, you know, that's that's tough. I I definitely got choked up watching watching uh, this part too. You know, I'm very close to yeah. my dad as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think that I realized watching this movie, it took me a minute, but I really liked, uh, the character Kent and found out he was based on a real, a real scientist that was also blind. 
Yeah, uh, William Fickner. I always yeah, get I think another get that, that wrong. guy. <laughs> yeah, definitely of that guy, right? Um, but his his character, yeah, best definitely bit based off a SETI, another SETI scientist. But his yeah. name in the movie is Kent Clark. Oh my gosh, really? I didn't <laughs> yeah, that. It just says Kent on IMDb. That's like almost yeah. two knows. <laughs> yeah, so like you know, obviously it's a play on Clark Kent. <laughs> Yeah. Well, when I see him, I was like, okay, I know that guy. And then when I was looking at his IMDb, I'm like, oh, the bank manager from The Dark Knight. That's like immediately what I remember him from. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember him from uh, Armageddon. He's the one of oh, the yeah. two um, two shuttle pilots. Yes. I forgot about that. That's true, too. Yeah. Well, was there anyone else in the cast that you wanted to go over? Or do you want to kind of shift to talking about scenes that you liked in the movie i mean i mean uh james woods we mentioned him earlier he's he's really fantastic and he Mm -hmm. plays he plays everything well but like the the national security advisor who everything is a threat to him and he everything is is a weapon and he was the only person that they ever considered for this role really yeah interesting and he he plays it really well yeah pretty cool Mm -hmm. well you know you've talked about some touching scenes already that really kind of spoke to you are are there more scenes from the movie that oh oh yeah um uh it's like really neat like the opening scene it's just small Mm -hmm. but you know we're in space and we're we're moving away from earth right out further into space and there's all these like radio signals and noises and if you pay close attention to them those radio signals are, are traveling back in time. Oh, right. It starts out with like the spice girls, which would have been like a recent thing in the nineties. And then you get some R2D2 beeps in there and you get the JFK assassination. And then FDR is a day that will live in infamy. And then Mm -hmm. finally the last sound you hear is the, the Hitler broadcast opening the Olympics. That is Mm -hmm. the part of the message. Yeah. Wow, I just think I that's really cool. It. Like, you know, it's kind of setting you up for we're moving back in time and look where we stop. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I thought it was really neat, but that's, I did not pick up on that. So thank you for <clears throat> pointing that out. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, I guess another scene is, is the, the scene where we meet David Drumlin, Tom Skerritt's character here. Mm-hmm. And, and you kind of already mentioned it. He's, he's like, well, why can't science should be used for the public good? And there's no reason science can't be used to make money. And like, I don't disagree with that at all. Um, Why can't science be used to make money? Um, But then, you know, Ellie is the total like pure scientist. She's like, what do you mean? We shouldn't be doing pure research. And it, it, you know, and then at the same time, that's when um, like, Matthew McConaughey's character meets Drumlin as well. And, uh, you know, you get the, the three clashes of ph- ph- philosophy all right in that one moment. For sure. I mean, I think Ellie is, I mean, she's like, you know, Indiana Jones going, it belongs in a museum. <laughs> like, you know, it's just, <laughs> we've got to roll with that. That's her pure of heart. And we kind of want to believe, right? I mean, I think, I want to believe that, you know, scientists, I mean, I think what you're saying is closer to the truth. I'm, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with making money, but I feel like audiences probably want 
to believe that, you know, scientists are doing everything just for our own good. So <laughs> I guess that's why she takes on that, that, that role. Mm-hmm. But I like that scene too. Um, it was really good. And then I guess, I guess um, the scene that really like starts um, the plot, I guess, if you would say is where Ellie goes and she gets funding Yes. Oh, I love that speech. I love that. Kind of like think it's going to be like unhinged and they're going to say no. And then they're like, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> like well, they get boss. that, that okay. mysterious phone call, right? They are mm-hmm. about to say no. Cause they're like your project. It's just science fiction. She's like, I'll tell you about science fiction. Little airplane. <laughs> yeah. It's a um, very I- passion speech. And I, I feel like that's a moment where, you know, I, I do think that there's sort of a stigma where, um, or, you know, or at least a lot of people believe this. And I do myself that like, we don't make a lot of room for women in positions of, you know, authority to be emotional. Like that's almost seen as kind of like a bad thing. Like, Oh, she's, she's crazy. She's going crazy. You know, whereas like a a guy making that same speech, we might say, wow, he's really passionate. So I liked that scene because, you know, it treated her character like, no, she's, yeah, she's emotional because the stakes are big. She's talking about history and it's a compelling argument. And it's just the thing that their that their boss that we haven't met yet wants to hear. Yeah. And, and, uh, um, at the, the school that I work at right now, um, every, every, there's time built into the school day for clubs and every student has to be part of a club. Every, um, every teacher has to like host a club or sponsor a club. Mm -hmm. And so, um, last year at the start of last year, when I was setting up my club, I was like, I want to do science fiction club because that's right up my alley. And uh, and another teacher like wanted to do science fiction and horror, mm. and so we kind of like okay, well let's run this club together. And uh, we could, the way we kind of set up the club was we would we we wanted to we were like hey let's read some books or read some short stories, but then we kind of decided hey, I don't really think high schoolers would like want to spend their time here like reading during club time. <laughs> So we're like, well, let's just let's just show movies or TV shows or, or pieces of because we only have an hour. And by the mm. time we set it up, we're like, hey, let's spend a couple minutes at the beginning setting it up and then a couple minutes at the end, um, like talking about what we've seen. And oh, interesting. right. Um, Contact was a movie that I wanted that I showed them during club time because, Ooh. you know, I was like, I wanted to talk about hard science fiction, right? That you yes. go through the different genres of science fiction and horror and sci-fi and horror combined together. And so um, we showed, I showed contact and obviously movies two and a half hours, right? So you can't show it all. So right. I would, I would do some video editing and I, I started um, contact with the scene where Ellie's going to get funding. Like that was, oh, I said, that's where, that's like a the place I wanted to start because you know I wanted to get through different pieces of the movie and I wanted to get to the end, but I was like, where do you start? You know, I want to start at the beginning, but eventually there are things you have to cut and and does that's where I decided to start. 
Interesting. So when you're explaining this to students, um, I'm assuming, you know, people listening, I'm sure probably know what hard sci-fi means, but do you kind of explain to your students like by hard sci-fi, you mean like grounded in science or how do you define it for them? Yeah. Grounded in science where, um, when characters are talking science, right. The thing, the words they are using actually mean something. Mm-hmm. And it's not just techno babble where right. like as much as I love Star Trek and I do love Star <laughs> Trek, right? The word they use like buzzwords like yeah. positronic or photon torpedoes and Heisenberg compensators and inertial dampeners. Words that sound sciencey but really don't mean anything. What's funny is I think growing up, I kind of viewed Star Trek as hard science, I guess, because I was comparing it to Star Wars. And it's like, you know, in Star Wars, I mean, we're talking about the force and you know what I mean? It's it's more of a like sci-fi Western, you know, wizards in space fighting each other. It's not it's not it's not very grounded in anything where star trek is like a little bit more grounded you know because they're at least attempting to talk about science and stuff but you're right like as an adult i'm like wow star trek is almost just fantasy <laughs> like it's <laughs> it's more fantasy than science you know uh, more fiction than science and um that that's a really good way to put it i was just curious but yeah, yeah. and cool. as far as high, hard science fiction i i started them with 2001 yeah. Right. Obviously, and then I I also showed them uh, parts of The Martian. Oh, I like that movie. I know, like yeah. I feel like that movie came out, and then everybody kind of forgot about it. But I remember like reading the book and like being very interested. So, yeah. And if I just continue that just briefly, it, like sci-fi and horror, and like I said, I was doing this with another teacher, but he he left during the year. He didn't finish it, mm. but um. I was taking my students through like a journey through different sub genres. Oh. And so like in horror, I was do I, I got to like the cabin in the woods genre. Mm-hmm. And like, I said, well, what's the thing that started the cabin in the woods genre? The evil dead. Yep. And it was like exactly at the time when I was showing them that is when you had your podcast episode oh, about the evil dead. It was like they happened right funny. at the same time. That's awesome. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I think, you know, well, there's also science fiction horror, too. Uh-huh. So there's just a lot of interesting crossovers there. That's that's funny. Um, yeah. But I agree with you about, uh, you know, it's that, that scene is interesting. I also really like the scene where, well, I don't know. I'm, I feel like I'm jumping all over the place, but, you know, I was shocked by the scene where the um, we we see that there that these aliens or the presence of this message that Ellie is getting is bringing about a lot of different perspectives, and one of them is you know basically a borderline terrorist group, right? That is not mm-hmm. happy with her contacting this entity or whatever that's giving them the plans to create this mechanism that will transport you to wherever they are or i guess i don't know that they really totally understand what it's going to do like it's going to send someone somewhere but they don't really it's like they they take what the the alien gave them and they make it and 
it gets sabotaged. She has that big square off with, uh, with that guy. And, um, I don't know why his name is escaping me. What's, what's the dude's name? Yes. And, um, you know, she, there's a lot of, a long time of trying to decide who's actually going to go in this. And it's so freaking unfair. Right. Cause like, she's the one that found the, the, the sound and, you know, helped put that all together when people kept giving up on that project and, and yet they're going to pick him. Um, and, and some of that is by design. We know with Matthew McConaughey, not voting for her anyway. Um, he gets sabotaged and he explodes like right after they have this square off talk and it's very shocking. And I found that scene very shocking. Like I was like, okay, that's when I was like, maybe I haven't seen this before. Cause I don't remember this. Um, that is such an intense scene. Yeah. And, and we see that character several times in the movie yeah. before, like and he's, he's preaching like science is not our God and scientists have destroyed the planet. And and then he at least like a manifesto video afterwards, like people won't understand what I'm do, why I'm doing this, but that in the end they'll 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 agree that it's the right thing. And that's um, I think it's Gary Busey's son, right? Yeah, Jake Busey. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and I do think that if we contacted Alien Life, that that absolutely would happen. <laughs> Um, but you know, maybe not the sabotaging part, but definitely like a presence that is not good. Mm-hmm. Um, that part really shocked me, but then, you know, John Hurt's character who we haven't talked about a lot. I really love when she goes home and it's like, Oh, time to throw in the towel, all that stuff. And he's got that message waiting for her. That's that, that felt like such a Zemeckis thing to do. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. The way in which he contacts her, even his John Hurt's presence throughout the movie, it just I, I I really liked his character. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, what if Bill Gates was like even more eccentric than he is, or Steve Jobs yeah. is even more like eccentric? And not just that, but like also like you know, just he's he's on her side. Like that mm-hmm. that part is really interesting too. Like. I mean, he believes in what she brings to the table. And so he's like, guess what? I've got a whole nother one and it's in another place. And, you know, um, you're going to get to go still. I thought Mm -hmm. that was interesting. I also really like the way in which they portray Ellie's character. Like the, she, she volunteers to do this, but she does. She is very, very afraid. Oh yeah. She's definitely afraid. You can, you can see that like many times before she's going, like they have her Mm -hmm. in her cabin before they get her suited up. And then as they're walking her into the machine, you can tell she's, she's very like tentative. Like, I know I want to do this, but like, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I also, what do you think about, so she's got this relationship on and off kind of, with Matthew McConaughey's character, the whole movie. And he admits to her that like part of why he didn't want her to go. He's like, I did have good reason, but also it wasn't the whole truth. And the truth is I don't want to lose you, but I feel like it's interesting that at the end of the day, he, especially being a man of faith, I think it's interesting the way he really lets her make her own choices Mm -hmm. and supports them. You know, 
there's this the scene where like he's chosen to be on the selection committee and they're like, well, I guess we have to put a stop to our relationship. So no one will see any conflict of interest here. Yeah. But then he like slips her a note. Hey, come meet me. (laughs) And they're like, he's like, Hey, let's talk about Einstein for a minute. She's like, sure. Yeah. Um, It's like, so you travel out the speed of light, you know, time dilation, you know, you'll be gone for four years. Everybody's going to be gone for 50 like something like that. Yeah. It's like everyone, you know, will just be gone. So then why do it? Right. And, and he, he wants to understand her motivation. Like, why, why do you want to do this? Why do you want to take yeah. this risk? And she's like, just the knowledge, like, how did this happen? That's to me and the scientific understanding that we can get from this. That's, that's worth the risk of one life. If it can, help humanity in some way. And you can see that he really like, he understands what she's saying in that moment and why she's saying it and why this means so much to her. And, and he gives her like a big hug and, and and she's like, I'm confused. (laughs) He's like, I'm confused too. Like, I don't want you to go, but at the same time, I want you to go. And it's almost like the reason that he comes up with to stop her from going. Like, do you believe in God? And she hems and haws and says, I think I've already answered that question, which means no. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and he's like, well, I, I can't send somebody to represent the whole planet if they don't believe in God, which I can understand that, that motive, like, you know, 90 some percent of people on the planet believe in some sort of God. So it makes sense that you would want to send somebody, but yeah, is it the real reason? And you can tell he's like super conflicted. And, and is her reason the real reason? Like a part of me feels like she was okay with leaving this planet because let's be honest, she doesn't have a lot of ties here. That's You know, I, I think her biggest relationship in her life was actually her father and he's gone and i think a part of her is like i'll risk leaving with the chance to see him again Mm -hmm. like i'm not saying she has a death wish but i i do think that there's not a lot keeping her here so i think that they're both not being maybe 100 percent honest about their motives but i mean that's how people are right like they're, they're complicated that's true But I think um, what's another what's another great scene? I feel like I've talked a lot. So um, no, I, I I love the scene where they first discover the message, where it first comes through. Yes, and it's just like frantic. She's like she hears it, and she's just you turn the top, turn the turn the arrays, make sure you. And they don't hear her at first, and she's just running, run, running through the building to get there. And they're all like, "Oh my god, what's going on? Don't freak out! I'm freaking out! No, you're freaking out! I'm not freaking out!" Oh my god! Like, and then she's <laughs> like, she's like, "Make a liar out of me! Like, tell me that this isn't happening!" And and he comes up with all these reasons why it couldn't happen. And then, nope, this is real. And then they're like. Wait, hold on. Let me hear those pulses. Prime numbers, right? Which I love that. Like yeah. the mathematician in me, like I am a mathematician. Like I, I went to college to get my PhD in math. I, I mean, I have a master's in math. I'm a math teacher now. Oh, right. Wow. So the mathematician in me loves that. Um, maybe this is seeing this movie at a young age is 
part of what inspired me to be a mathematician. That's great. But and then prime numbers that that can't be that that that's no way that's natural. Yeah. And then and then when the 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 James Woods character and all the others come in and they're like, why such remedial math if they're so if they're so intelligent? Why not just speak English? She's like, well, math is the only true universal language. Yeah. Right. And and it kind of relates if you've seen I know you I know you've seen it, but arrival mm-hmm. and Jeremy Renner's character is the mathematician and he comes in, he says the same thing. Like math is the real universal language. And when he first shows up at like the alien ship, he's like, Have they sent us anything? Prime numbers, Fibonacci? Right? He's <laughs> like thinking the same yeah. way. Like that's how advanced races would contact us is yeah. by using math. And arguably, he's also thinking about this movie, right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that movie exists in that in that world too. Um, Maybe it does. Yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but um, just okay. You know that I like costumes, so I I love her outfit, <laughs> her um, her uniform rather, her suit. Oh that she yeah. Wears. It is really well designed. I really, really like it. It's yeah. It's it's like metal and that harness thing. It's yeah. not like it's not like um some Star Trek outfits that some yeah. of the female characters are put in. Not that there's anything wrong with those. No, not <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but yeah, no, I agree. And it's not like a clunky spacesuit. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's it feels very advanced and perfect mm-hmm. for what she's doing and um i just i just thought it looked really neat I, my husband and i were watching and he's like oh we should like make those <laughs> he's like i love that <laughs> okay I was well like, you're yeah. more creative than i am because like- <laughs> <laughs> i know he's very ambitious too like he's always like we should make that and that and that and i'm like man this list is getting really long but call <laughs> me when you're ready to make these um but yeah i thought it looked really neat um what did you think of like okay we haven't gotten to this yet. I don't know if you're ready to talk about it, but she does not blow up. She goes on a journey. Mm-hmm. The journey is up in the air. What do you think happened? I, I think it happened. Um, yeah. I'd hate to, I hate to believe that it didn't happen, but um, man, I got as a 10 year old sitting in the theater, seeing this scene when she goes through her wormholes and, and like, I don't know, like her face, like does the thing where it like comes off of her and, and then she's like thrown side to side and down the wormhole and she stops and she comes upon, you know, some space scene and then she's whisked away again. That was cool. Right. As a 10 year old seeing that in the theater. It's cool to me today seeing that. And, you know, for a movie that was made in, you know, 1997, I think the, I think the effects really hold up. I agree. Um, I kind of feel like there's no way it didn't happen only because, and I was going to ask you this question since you've read the book, but you know, there's a part at the end where she goes to those hearings, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Cause like we just saw the movie Oppenheimer, right? Where there's uh-huh. the hearings and this, I don't oh, know. I, I haven't, seen, I haven't seen it. I haven't oh, seen it yet. Okay. Well, spoilers, I guess. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> there are some hearings. Um, but, you know, in this movie, we're going through some hearings again. So I was thinking about that. So just a side note. But um, 
I feel like they proved that it had to have happened because, you know, they later mentioned that the the static that was picked up was 18 hours long. And she had said, like, she felt like 18 hours had passed. Um, is the book the same way where there's a definitive answer or do, uh, is the book more open ended? Well, in, in the book, there are there are five characters that that go on the trip. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. It's built for five people. So there's like a, a Russian scientist who's like a, a good friend of Ellie's. And then there's like a, a Nigerian astrophysicist. And I can't remember who the other two were, but five people go on the trip. More people. Uh, okay. Right. And, and they all, they all meet with uh, an alien who's, who looks like a loved one of theirs or like the, the okay. most cherished loved one. And, um, they all recount a similar story, but you know, James Wood's character in the, in the book who becomes the secretary of defense by the end of the hearing is like determined to like, this did not happen. Yeah. And basically he threatens all of them and says My like, gosh. you, you're just going to disappear from the public conscience, right? You're not going to come up here with your story because we're going to say that you have some, you know, psychological trauma of like the machine didn't work. So you all went crazy and you have some shared psychosis, Gosh. but, but they're like kind of hopeful. They're like, you know what? Someday, because we all have a similar story, we'll all get to share that with the world and, and people will have to believe us. Hmm. Okay. Um, was what did a similar thing happen where well i guess so you know where they they were told yeah. they did like go on the journey then mm -hmm. yeah okay interesting yeah it makes sense that it would be more than one person but i kind of like in the movie it being one person because then it's even harder to prove right and and that's kind of how i said at the beginning like i think some yeah. of the changes they make from the book to the movie i think they work better because by making it just Ellie that goes on this trip, it it just makes the whole movie her story from start to finish. Right, right. Whereas making it like a journey of more people. And it's just, it's more personal. Very true. So, but, yeah. oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, um, when she goes on the journey and... You know, she wants all the answers, but he's like, you know what? You took a step here, right? It's a first step. It's an important step, but, you know, you have to wait, right? Things happen. Yeah. This is the way it's been done. You can't have all the answers for right now. Probably not ready for all the answers right now. Yeah. And, and I kind of feel like that's how things would happen in, mm -hmm. in the real world if we made contact with an alien species. They'd be like, you're, you know, you're just not ready yet, quite yet. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of the way it happens in Star Trek, too. Right, right. Like, I was going to say, the Vulcan, like, the Vulcans, the Vulcans yeah. are like, yeah, you have warp drive, but you got to figure out better warp. We know, we know what better warp drive is. We know what's out there, but you got to have to figure it out yourself. And we're going we're gonna to give you some information, but, you know, you got to figure it out for yourself when you're ready. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, they can't give you too much at once. It's too, it's too much. It, it's not giving, like you said, like them a chance to make discoveries on their own. Cause I feel like if you don't know the why it's, it's hard to fully comprehend it. Maybe I don't mm -hmm. know. 
but yeah, very true. So what? Yeah, and it surprises me. Sorry, oh, sorry, it surprises me how short her journey actually is in the movie. Yeah. It's like less than 10 minutes from the time she gets in the machine to mm-hmm. the time she gets out of it. Yeah, that's true. You'd think, oh, the movie's based around the contact, right? You'd think there'd be a longer scene, but yeah. it's, it's just a little, little scene, really. It's the journey, I guess, not the destination. <laughs> that's true. But, you know, the movie's long, but I don't feel the length. I, did, I really didn't. You needed every minute of it, I felt like. Oh, yeah. I, I don't feel like there's any any wasted scenes or any, like, dragging at all. It It moves at a fast pace. Yeah. Are there any scenes that we haven't discussed that you feel are really important to to mention? Uh, I'm no. I mean, you kind of mentioned like the scene um, when she comes back to to the VLA after like they've talked about the message, and there's the the whole caravan of people outside, right? You mentioned mm-hmm. like the 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 alien abduction insurance. <laughs> But I just yeah. think it's funny, like, there's, like, an Elvis impersonator there, and he's like, hey, meet me on Vega. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that, too. That and then, you know, cool. there's, like, there I've, there's a group of neo-Nazis that are there because it was a, a message from Hitler, and Hitler's alive on Vegas. Vega. I mean, yeah. Like Vegas. But just, like, like Everyone has, like, scene. a theory. Yeah. Yeah. It was, like, it was just a, just a fun scene, and because you had already mentioned that a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, very true. Well, is there anything else about the movie that we kind of haven't touched on yet that you wanted to discuss? I, I mean, I guess I just have this one question. Sure. Um, so if the machine is built, let's say it's built in the real world, and mm-hmm. they come and they say, Lisa, we don't know if the machine's going to work. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if you're going to come back, when you're going to come back, if you're going to survive. We don't know. But the seat's yours if you want it. Do you say yes or no? Hell no. Hell no? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not for me. I, I, I don't see myself going on this journey. It, it, it's the same thing that I would say, like, uh, I guess since we're talking about space, when I saw the movie Gravity, I remember thinking, like, yeah, I'm not. I'm, not, I'm, I'm good. I'm not going up there. <laughs> like, I just, I don't know. It's too risky. I'm not this big risk taker. But what about you? Oh, I, I would say yes, like nice. in an instant. Okay. And and it's funny that you said hell no, because they, they asked Jodie Foster that same question when the movie came out, and she said, I'm good. Yeah, I just no, it's not no my desire. And maybe if I was in Ellie's position where I really I I, I met, felt more of like a free agent, maybe, but I, I don't know. I just you know, I always say to my friends, you'll never read a news story that I was eaten by a bear or a shark <laughs> or I fell off a cliff. I mean, if I can help it, I just, I'm just not a big risk taker. So I'll leave that to people that are a little more adventurous. Now, if you ask my best friend, Kara, I feel like she would say, yes, I'm, I'm one ticket, please. But it's just, I think it's just my personality, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have a couple questions for you then. Um, mm-hmm. Number one. If you could summarize it, why, what keeps you coming back to this film? Well, yeah, um, this, like, from the moment I saw this, this movie, you know, being 10 years old, um, like, 
it's one of those things. It, it, it inspires you. It's yeah, I agree. It's about, it, it's about searching for an answer, right? But maybe the answer is not that important. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and I just know that like this, this movie along with Star Trek, cause I'd seen Star Trek a little bit before this. Um, those two things made me want to become a scientist, right? Oh, like I, I got a, I got a telescope, right? Just a, you know, tiny kids telescope um, after this movie came out. And I couldn't tell you anything about stars or where they are in the sky now, but I, I got a telescope after seeing this movie. Um, I wanted, like I originally went to college to be an aerospace engineer to oh, like wow. design rockets. Right. I wanted to be a rocket scientist because of a move, this movie and star yeah. Trek. And I just think like good science fiction can do that and can inspire you. Um, this movie inspired me. And I, I don't think it's preachy at all from either yeah. perspective. Yeah. Right. And I think it, it, um, it's good for debate really. Yeah. And I think, you know, science fiction at its core is still about the human experience. Like no matter how, what the setting is, there's a, a lot of big questions that get asked in science fiction. I think the setting allows you to kind of like think about those concepts differently a little bit. Yeah. It can hold um, a mirror. It can hold a mirror and it can, it can maybe ask a question in a way that a non-science fiction story couldn't. Yeah. And I think there's something very comforting to the thought that we're not alone. Right. And whether we're not alone means there's aliens out there <laughs> or a God or whatever that means. I think that there's some comfort in that. And also I think that there's so much we don't know and that's exciting. And I like science fiction that approaches that from a positive angle because I mean, a lot of science fiction is very dystopian and I like that stuff too, yeah. but I, I also like the science fiction side that is more optimistic. Oh yeah, um, when you get something yeah. like this or Close Encounters, right, right, which is just about the joy of the experience, and then mm-hmm. I think ET, even though it can get dark there at a point, I think it's still, <laughs> I, I think it's video. still a positive message throughout the whole yeah, movie, for sure. Um, now, if you had to sort of pitch this movie to someone else that hadn't seen it, what what do you think you would say? Um, do you like science fiction that's smart? that's intelligent, that's really grounded in science. Um, Are do you like movies that are about adventure? Cause at the end of the day, I think this is an adventure movie, right? Mm -hmm. In the same way you mentioned Indiana Jones earlier. Yeah. Like, I mean, mean, that's on my mind maybe all the time, but especially (laughs) since I just saw that Indiana Jones movie. Um, But yeah, it's, it's an adventure movie. I mean, after all it is directed by Robert Zemeckis, right? So Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and it doesn't have to be doom and gloom either. Right, right. We can have a positive message. I love that. And well, and I love at at the end of the movie, right, where mm-hmm. it feels like Ellie is content. Um, like I know we skipped that we're we're done with scenes, but like yeah, after the journey, right. she goes back to the she goes back to the array and she feels content and she's talking with those kids there. And and she asked one, do you think there's anything out there? And he goes, I don't know. And she's like, that's a good answer. I don't know either, but let's keep looking. And, and after everything she's been through, she just feels content. I think when she made that impassioned speech about how she can't deny her experience, 
she realized that that was enough validation. Like she didn't Mm -hmm. actually need external validation for what she experienced. And she was at peace with it, which I really liked. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, Eric, this was really fun. Um, This was a great movie. Thank you for choosing it. And it's a pleasure. Oh yeah. And it's a pleasure as always. Um, Before you go, is there anything else you want to plug? Um. I mean, our a little Star Trek podcast that could. Um, these are the voyages. Um, yes. Right now, we're just uh, f- mostly focusing on episode recaps because we're still in this explosive, or explosive in the sense that there's a lot of it era yeah. of Star Trek. Um, we're covering Strange New Worlds right now. Ooh, I love um, that show. I love that show too. Um, uh, we're it's gonna so have good. Lower Decks season four is Heck gonna be yeah. coming up here pretty soon. Who knows when we'll get anything else after that with because of yeah. like the writer's strike. True, true, true. But you know, if you enjoy Star Trek, enjoy science fiction, check it out. Yes. I second that. And I've been on it before. So Yes. And please listen. Um, well, thank you again. I hope to have you back soon. 